back, everybody, to your creativity. We're here for a uh, pun intended, spirited conversation uh, with Clearwater Distilling Company. They are based in Pleasant Grove, Utah, and they are Utah's first, uh, Utah County's first distillery. How are you guys today? Good. How are you doing? Good. And we're, Great. And we're talking with Matt and Stephanie. And their name plays an importance because it also leads into their company. How do you say it? Eau Claire? Eau Claire. Eau Claire. And that means clear water. Yep. Tell us a little about how the distillery started. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a bit of a story. Um, so, you know, I've been kind of into spirits for a long time and, um, you know, got into scotch, got into tequila and, you know, pretty much everything uh, just to kind of, uh, as an exploratory thing and uh, had it as kind of like a little bit of a hobby um, for a very long time and started to appreciate, you know, kind of like the, the finer spirits, the, you know, the ones that are a little bit harder to get and, and so on, because um, it just seems like, you know, the, the more rare something is generally, it's more because of some kind of craft or, or some special results, you know, with some cool flavor. And um, we've, you know, hosted a lot of events at our house. So we've had a lot of folks over. We, you know, we like to do poker or used to anyway um before yeah. COVID hit and uh so you know my friends kind of got to know that and then they all got together one year and thought it would be cool to all chip in and buy me a still for Christmas uh, which was a pretty awesome gift and so needless to say you can't disappoint your friends so you got to make something um so I jumped on that and uh you know, I just tried to figure out, you know, what's something that's kind of cool or interesting that I would make. And, you know, it didn't actually occur to me to make like a gin or a whiskey or anything like that. I was just like, well, what sounds like it would be cool that it would be distilled. And so, I don't know, I think at the time I was on kind of a, uh, a kick for uh, uh, sangrias. And so I thought, mm, that might be interesting, you know, uh, let's take the, what you'd have in a sangria other than the wine, ferment it, throw it in the still and just run it and see what happens. And, you know, I, I didn't very have very high expectations. I'm thinking, you know, this is the first time I've ever run in this thing, you know, and I've been on YouTube trying to figure out how to even run it at all. And, um, the basics are pretty simple, but, you know, after, when you get down to it, it's a little bit, you know, you get to know. And then, so I'm thinking, okay, we're going to get some jet fuel here, or some nasty crap. <laughs> and uh, it actually came out pretty good. It came out pretty tasty and, you know, shared it a little bit. And I was like, oh, hell, yeah, I could drink this. This is, this is pretty decent. And, you know, I'm just kind of like, a little bit shocked uh but uh yeah then just kind of discovered that you know you actually can't distill stuff at home anywhere in the u.s for that matter legally unless you have a license so like you know with beer and wine which you can make all you want um you know for yourself and uh no the, the government for some reason doesn't really particularly care for you to do that so um yeah then just to said okay yeah you had to legitimize yeah, um, begrudgingly, really. Uh, so it was just kind of like, okay, well, what's it going to take to get a license? You know, because yeah, this is cool, this is fun. I mean, we can do some different things, and you know, I thought it'd be, you know, great to have different stuff available on the liquor shelf for friends when they come over. And you know, the license started to look kind of expensive, especially in Utah, because it's like just for the license alone in Utah is like some four or five grand. And um, but then we figured, you know, yeah, we could get the shipping container that we could go stick out in the desert somewhere and do some Breaking Bad, whatever, with our little license and, you know, for 15 grand or something like that, which was a lot. But, you know, hey, we could do it. 
and then it just kind of went from there, just spiraled. It's like, no, shipping containers not going to work. And, yeah. <laughs> and you were in the software industry at that time. Yeah, still am. Um, data architecture, you know, to get specific, which is hardly anyone knows what it means, but. So, so between the software and the uh, distilling company, what what is the ratio of of time that you dedicate? Well, <laughs> at the moment, you know, I still uh, maintain a, a consultancy uh, that I do, uh, basically to pay the bills because it's hard to go from you know a software salary over to a startup salary, um, yeah. and it, I didn't want to really take much money away from the distillery. I wanted to keep all that you know kind of being folded back in to to grow it. So. Um, both of us have actually kept our, our day jobs. And so, um, now it's like we have two jobs. (laughs) (laughs) And Stephanie, you're a teacher. Is that correct? Yeah, this is my 20th year teaching. Um, are you, are you in schools or are you, uh, online type situation? Online, uh, the COVID stuff just freaks me out. And then with the distillery, if either of us even went down for a few weeks. Um, not to mention if we got it worse, I, we just couldn't handle that. Um, so I'm actually teaching remotely, but I am still teaching this year. So I do both. I teach, um, I spend about five hours a day doing my teaching. And then, um, I don't know, probably three to five hours a day doing distilling stuff. So we're pretty busy, but we don't have kids. So it's, it's what gets our time. Oh, yeah, I have one kid and he's back at school and it's, it's a nerve wracking situation. And I work at Salt Lake Community College and it's, it's nerve wracking mm-hmm. with, with people all around, but you know, you do what you can, but I'm, I'm glad you guys can stay in so you can keep maintaining everything. Yeah. Yeah, we're very fortunate that way. So what, what, what led from the jump to the, well, yeah, you, it just steamrolled but what it opening up and starting to get it out there tell us a bit about the the rollout yeah so it was a process um you know we kicked this off uh, more or less i guess in was it 2018 or late 2017 um and yeah i mean i guess i think we we established our llc i think in 2018 uh but you know getting getting the federal license um even though it's less expensive than the Utah license was probably one of the biggest hurdles it, it takes a tremendous amount of paperwork. And beyond that, then we have, I don't know, some somewhere between 10 and 20 different permits and um, regulatory licenses that we have to get in addition to that uh, just, you know, with the FDA and, you know, OSHA and the, and the city uh, business licenses and, you name it. I mean, there's, everybody wants to regulate what you're doing because, you know, you got booze. <laughs> so that, uh, putting all that together and, and getting all that paperwork and, and doing all that due diligence was just, yeah, it was, and, and keeping a, you know, a, a job at the same time. In fact, there's a, a group called the uh, ADI, an industry organization that um, the president of it says, if you can start up a distillery in less than two years, I'll buy you a steak dinner. <laughs> So um, I think we just actually got in under the wire technically, if you consider when we um, established the LLC, I think we, we filed in, it was April and I think we got our license in, was it March? I think it was March. Um, 
But uh, anyway, uh, we, we just barely got in under the wire there and we didn't go for the, because it actually turned into a lunch instead of a dinner. So we just said, oh, screw that, man. <laughs> um, do you guys um, deliver to other states? Is it like in liquor stores in other states or is it just Utah? There are some crazy liquor laws and they're different in every single state. Yeah. So as far as being in like a big national chain, no. Uh, we currently, we have a few outlets right now, a few channels. One is we're selling out of the distillery here um, in Pleasant Grove. You can come right here and pick it up. I'm not, we're not actually in Utah State liquor stores, and that's another story. But um, we have a distributor in L.A. who is doing the entire Southern California market. And then we have another distributor in California who um, has quite a few states. And they, um, they're who we send our stuff to so we can sell on our online site, which is shop.clearwaterdistilling.com. And it's actually run, fulfilled by this company called Speakeasy. And then we're just about to launch. We finalized everything. It's ready to go. We just actually have to get our product up on another um, site that called... Um, Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> and uh, they're based in, they have a big presence in Illinois and like same day shipping in Chicago and stuff, but they're opening up other states right now too. So, but we're current, they're constantly trying to find new outlets and expanding. Yeah, in fact, we just, uh, we're launching in Colorado uh, this month too. Uh, we've, we've got actually a guy who's uh, starting with us, Grant Lewis, who uh, is a longtime hospitality guy and um, really kind of loves the brand and wants to uh, start selling uh, there. So uh, we're just spinning that up and hopefully we'll have that in full swing by 1st of November. Yeah, I just wondered about that because a while back we interviewed Steve Conlin of Ogden's Own and mm -hmm. he talked about the whole Idaho situation and just all the all the struggles getting into those other states. Yep, and every state has different regulations. Yeah. <laughs> Wyoming's kind of crazy. Idaho's yeah. fun. It's a bailment state Thanks. and all this. Yeah, it's just... Oh, yeah, so we'll get there. How has the reception been down in uh, Utah County with you guys opening up and selling liquor? Way better than we expected because um, we've lived in Utah County for, I guess, a total of like 12 years um, out of the last 14. We actually left for a couple years and came back, moved to California. But um, so we know, one, that the... The demographics in Utah County are changing. When we first moved here in 06, um, it hadn't exploded, the population explosion yet. And it's different now than it was even then. Um, a lot of different people are coming in. You'd be amazed how many people drink and how many people come in and go, I can't believe this is in Pleasant Grove. I'm so happy you're here. And there was really no pushback. Um, from city council or anything, they welcomed us with open arms. And in fact, we went through the entire process in Lehigh and in Pleasant Grove because we were looking at different buildings and everybody was like amazingly welcoming and had no problem with it. So, I mean, there's always a couple. There was like this Facebook thread and there were some of the, we don't want your kind here, but it was few far between, so. Well, that, that's awesome. Let, let's talk about the flavors. You've got two different uh, flavors, um, Josephine and Lorenz. Uh, tell us a bit about them. Yeah. You want to tell? Josephine <laughs> is what that distilled sangria turned into. Um, what she is now is 
loosely based on what that one was. We've done a lot of changes and it's unlike anything. And I know that every company tries to say, oh, it's unlike anything on the market, but like this is unlike anything I have ever seen in the world um, and we travel. So Josephine is many different fresh fruits. Um, if you've ever had like Slivovitz or a real European schnapps, not this sweetened American stuff, but like real schnapps, which is like fruit that is distilled. It's generally one fruit, no sugar added. And Josephine is many fruits, um, all fresh. They're not even from concentrate. They're like fresh fruit sludge. It's awesome. It looks like the world's most expensive smoothie. Um, and then it also has a little bit of molasses in it. And then we put wine in it. So it's brandy, it's slivovitz, it's- A um, little bit of rum. Yeah, like rumish. But then we put, uh, we age it, just rest it, I guess you should say, because age is a long time, for a few weeks with some toasted oak. And it gives it a little bit of color and just a little bit of smoky. And we've heard someone say it's like a cognac and a whiskey had a baby. Even that I don't think is completely accurate because it's kind of like, like grappa and brandy and. And the best part about it is that, you know, not only is it a, um, kind of like a, a really cool combination of new flavors, but it's enigmatic because if you pour a glass of this and you let it sit for about 20 minutes and you, you're sipping on it across that 20 minutes, it's like a wine where it opens up. Like you'll have a certain set of flavors you'll taste and you'll go, oh, I get a little bit of toasted marshmallow and maybe a little bit of strawberry leaves. And, and then the next sip you'll be like, oh, I pick up a little bit of banana or a little bit of grape and, and some other things and some smoothness. And then you, know, you take another sip and it's different yet again. Um, it, it just changes and evolves the whole time that it's opening up. And, and even beyond that, um, at six, we actually, we let it bottle rest for six weeks at a minimum after we distill it. Uh, because even across those six weeks, it, it just, it's absolutely nuts how much the flavor changes and gets more complex. But then after that six weeks, when we feel like, okay, it's kind of worthy at this point to, to be drunk a little bit, but even like six months down the road, it's totally different. And this is just bottle resting. So not even spending any time in a cask where it's breathing or getting anything else in, in with it. It's just such a, an amazing spirit, how it just kind of evolves. And we got lucky with that. We didn't do that by design. It's just kind of the way it it works out. And I think it's because of the fact that we have the, the ingredients that we do in there that, um, that just really kind of make it kind of its own unique thing. And that's really kind of our, our flagship deal because it's just so cool. And honestly, as a cigar guy too, I just want, it is amazing paired with cigars. Better than any brand. My second cousin owns a cigar shop up here in Salt Lake. Have you heard of uh, oh, Beehive? Beehive? Beehive, yep. Yeah, those guys are great. We, yeah. Actually, I want, uh, we've talked with them a few different times, and um, we, I want to get in touch with them again. Maybe we can uh, exchange numbers afterwards again, because I, um, I want to talk to them about something else <laughs> coming up. Yeah, Kendrick's great. Um, yeah. So, um, Josephine, that's the first Josephine. one. That's oh, yeah, the other one. Uh, Lorenz, <laughs> the rum. I'm, I'm a rum guy, so. It's I not. Technically a rum? Rum. Okay. rum? Okay. Close to it, but not. He's very particular about what can be called what um, if you look up like bourbon and whiskey like they're very specific so Lawrence we say Lawrence even though everybody says Lawrence but um, it's fine either way we it's it, it's definitely rum like but it also has apple in it um, which means like 
kind of like a Calvados note, but just a small amount, which gives it a lot more complexity. Um, and then it's not just one sugar, it's piloncillo, which is a hard brown sugar, like a panela and molasses. Um, but then we run it through a botanical basket like gin does. And that without adding any sugar or anything after distillation, it just picks up the oils, the vapor does, the alcohol and vapor. And in the it, gin basket, we put cinnamon sticks and vanilla beans. So instead of like, you know, so it's not any of the gin botanicals, it's, it's actually like something that would complement a rum really well. Um, and yeah, it, it emulsifies all that out of those and it's just insane. It's so delicious. And it's versatile. It goes in everything. So. Well, I'm going to have to get my hands on a couple of bottles. These, these sound great. <laughs> and, uh, e each flavor has their own charity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Exactly. About those, uh, yeah. So, you know, we, we put Josephine Baker, you know, as our, uh, historical figure on that spirit because for a couple of reasons for one um from purely from a marketing perspective you know since the spirit doesn't really fit a category you can't really call it anything you can't say like oh this is a brandy or a whiskey or something like that it's what is it you know, i don't know um it's <laughs> so we picked a person and we're going to just call it josephine um and what's cool about josephine is that you know she was when we started looking up you know, in the very beginning, uh, our, our kind of marketing branding theme was this, uh, you know, retro uh, prohibition, but neo-prohibition kind of vibe to it. And so for fun, we were looking up uh, different folks that were popular during prohibition, like some of the flappers and stuff. And, and that's when we stumbled across her because she was just one of these uh, flappers and dancers. Um, but it turned out her life was just so much more interesting because uh, she you know, started, uh, she grew up in the U.S. a little as a kid and then um, was found by this company over in Paris or she knew some folks in Paris that were looking to, to bring in some talent. And she just happened to be particularly good at dancing and, and whatnot. And so they brought her over to Paris and she was dealing with civil rights issues in the U.S. So she's like, yeah, I'll go check it out. And um, actually became really popular. There. Everybody really uh, liked her and um, she was starting to make lots of money and, and doing really well. And then <clears throat> then in World War II, she actually joined the resistance and became a spy. Uh, so it's like, she's, she's really intelligent on top of all of this too. And, you know, did some incredible things as a spy. And then um, with all her money, uh, started adopting children uh, after, you know, the war and stuff. And Steph actually calls her the original Angelina Jolie, uh, which is cool. And then uh, she actually ended up uh, doing the opening speech for the I Have a Dream speech for Martin Luther King. Which I don't think anyone really knows about, which is kind of an incredible thing. It's uh, and so she's had this incredible life of you know dealing with adversity and and then trying to also do her best to help others out. You know, to be like, hey, I want I want to be treated like this. So I'm going to treat others really well. And and so um, we wanted to you know instead of just saying hey we're going to um, exploit her by putting her on our our bottle, we'd like to you know kind of give back for that and so the best way that we found was to do that through charity and so we chose for the josephine the international child art foundation and it's got a couple of really cool things going for it for one on guidestar uh it's rated as a really highly as a charity so a great deal of their money goes right to the folks who actually need the money as opposed to a lot of overhead the other thing is it teaches arts like you know she was very much into you know uh, and then Finally, it teaches all of this to kids uh, through empathy. 
So it actually teaches the kid empathy, kids empathy about, you know, like maybe some folks in another country have uh, an oppressive government or, you know, maybe they're dealing with genocide or some horrible things. And, you know, it helps kids kind of learn that, you know, hey, things are a lot different in different places and, and that, you know, how you can see things through someone else's eyes. And we thought for Josephine, that was just perfect. Um, so we, we feel really good about that. And then um, Lawrence uh, was an Arctic explorer uh, in a big way, among other things. I mean, he was a movie star and wrote books and all sorts of stuff. Uh, but um, with him, we, we thought what would be the most appropriate, especially considering uh, the global warming that we're dealing with is uh, the ocean conservancy. Um, because that actually helps out with wildlife as well as, you know, kind of the conditions of the oceans. I mean, we all know about the Pacific garbage patch where there's just a tremendous amount of just floating plastic and, and junk in the oceans. And this charity is trying their best to kind of keep things as best as possible for, for what's out there. And we figured for him, you know, this would be something that he would appreciate as well, uh, being an outdoors person and, and appreciating the, the environment. And they protect the Arctic and everything, which would have been very relevant to him. Yeah. And those were built in from the beginning, from when when you were establishing everything. That's yep. awesome. And you're also doing a crowdfunding campaign right now where people can like own part of the business. Tell us about what's going on there. Well, um, a traditional method for startups is to get a business loan, right? And we looked at that and thought about it, but then we heard about this crowdfunding and it's um, where you're selling small bits of equity to people. So your customers can actually own part of the business. And then as your company grows and then later on, let's say you get um, bought by a larger, you know, Diageo or some big uh, conglomerate or you sell off a brand because in the distilling world that's actually fairly common that you just sell a line let's say Lawrence gets really popular and we can just sell that then people can get their equity back but you get in on the growth so we're a startup and it's a great time to get in like at the ground level but then we're owned by the people who drink our stuff and we have found that um, a lot of the people who are buying shares in the company reach out and, oh, what are you doing? And, oh, I bought some stuff. And I told all my friends about it. And I love Lawrence and I can't wait to try Josephine. And, and it becomes like this little family. So it's not like we're just giving some bank a payment every month. And, you know, I, I love that it's like, it feels like the Green Bay Packers, you know, they're owned yeah, by- I was going to say, yeah. And uh, I'm a football fan, by the way. But <laughs> like, I think that's such a cool way to do stuff because- you get, you get people on your team, you know? Um, so I think it's been really cool. And we're about halfway to our goal um, with the regulation CF, the crowdfunding that allows regular people to invest. You don't have to prove that you're a millionaire. Um, we can raise up to about a million and we're almost at 500,000 right now. So we're just trying to finish out the campaign and um, I don't think we're gonna do it again. So when that's gone, it's gone, but... Um, it's been really cool. Are there any like perks or anything like t-shirts or samples or, or is it just they put in and. Well, the biggest perk is obviously the ownership. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, but yeah, there are, there are little perks just so that people can kind of get excited about uh, being part of it. So for uh, 250 level, you get like a sticker, which 
once again, it's about the equity. Yeah. But then as you go up in levels, there are other perks like some glasses or um, a branded level and stuff. But yeah, so there are some perks. So it's it's not just like Kickstarter where they're giving you the money; they're, they're getting the equity and um, like yeah, little little tchotchkes. So that's cool. Speaking of the branding, I think the the lettering and everything is just beautiful. Um, tell us a bit about the development like that, where some like the inspiration came from. Yeah, so when uh, I first hatched the idea of actually doing this commercially, um, the very first phone call I made was to my buddy, uh, Carrie, who uh, owns a marketing firm. And uh, he's been a, a, you know, a C-level position in a billion dollar company. And they, I mean, he's just got a super crazy good team of marketing guys and they, they've just done this their whole lives. So, um, you know, because when I've, as I've done software all these years, one of the things that I've been heavily involved with, obviously, is business, right? Because you're writing software to facilitate business. So any good developer should know that, you know, why they're making software and what they're doing it for. So I think a healthy understanding of business and, and in general and an acumen uh, really kind of helps with that. So with all of that experience and time doing that, I realized, okay, look, yeah, I mean, you can have the best uh, booze in the world, but if nobody knows about it, it's, it doesn't do anybody any good. Um, so, you know, yeah, you definitely want to have a solid product and a really badass product, but you also want to have really, really solid and crazy good uh, branding to go with it so that you can facilitate, you know, the sales that you want to do. So, yeah, so these guys, you know, it's, they were like the Rolls Royce of, of branding. So, you know, I wasn't sure whether they were going to be interested or not, but, you know, they said, hey, you know, this is actually kind of a cool thing and, and we want to get involved. So they actually became partners with us. And um, so, yeah, we went through, man, months and months of brand building and trying to figure out what it was supposed to be. I think we went through like six solid rounds of you know, all of the details from the logos to the fonts, to the colors, to the mood boards and, and everything else. And, um, you know, finally established, you know, kind of like the core of the brand. And uh, yeah, it just, it's, it's held pretty well. People really appreciate it. And they're still involved in designing labels because we have more products coming. And so, yep. Any, any new products you can tell us about or just they're, they're in development? <laughs> <laughs> Big one that is coming i'm excited about it like it sounds crazy from someone who owns a distillery that i'm not really much of a hard liquor drinker i like wine um so well josephine is actually wine like but anyway um this next product is so good that i actually you'll find me drinking the the test batches that we're coming up with so Similar to our other products where they don't fit in a category and who knows what shelf you might find them on in the liquor store. This one's like that too. So not on purpose. It just happens to be amazing. So it's a mix of an American rye and a French Armagnac or Cognac. Um, and we're going back and forth right now with our uh, suppliers because obviously we've been open since March. We're not creating a 30-year-old Armagnac here. Um, not yet. Yeah. So, this will be something that we do source and blend, uh, which apparently is very common in the distilling world anyway. Um, but it's got like the spicy that the rye offers and then the sweet that the Armagnac Cognac offers. And it's just, it's so good. It's like, why isn't anybody else doing this? And then you remember, nobody else wants to be on the specialty shelf. And we're like, who cares? We want to make the 
delicious thing and we're cool with that so we'll yeah. that'll be out by december hoping so it is it's incredible it's it's before I heard of actually anyone, you know, making a blend like that, you know, you just think that, oh, it's just kind of like one of those things you did as a kid, you know, you call a suicide and you hit the pop machine with every lever, yeah. you know, <laughs> and it's just, it ends up tasting just like a bunch of sugar anyway. But no, this actually, yeah, the flavors work out so well because the, the Brent, the Armagnac, like Steph's saying, you know, is uh, anywhere from a five to 30 year old blend of Armagnacs, which makes just a, an incredible smooth, uh, lovely, well-aged um, piece by itself, but then, you know, doing an, an older-aged, 95% rye American whiskey just brings that, you know, kind of. So you, so you have this delicateness of the Armagnac, and then you have this kind of brute force of an American rye whiskey, and then you bring them together, and then it just it, they play right on top of each other so so well, surprisingly well, that you know we could not help but just say, oh yeah, this is something that's going in a bottle, hands down. Um, so yeah, we're. We're excited it's about amazing. it. Because all these people are coming and going, are you going to make whiskey? Are you going to make whiskey? And <laughs> we're like, well, kind of. We're going to clear water whiskey. Um, but it's going to be awesome. And we've picked our person, our icon, and the labels being developed right now, the art on it. And we're trying to come up with all this design stuff for how awesome it's going to look. And uh, yeah, right now it's going back and forth with our vendors and trying to get the absolute perfect stuff. We thought we had it last week and we sat there, we were so excited and we started mixing. We're like, it's not quite there. Uh, it's, not, it's not clear water quality. So we're, we wrote to our people. We have a guy in France. I swear we're on like first name basis with him. Someday when COVID's over, we're gonna go visit and have a big party in France with him. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, we're like, oh, we want more of this flavor and more of this. And he's like, we're gonna design that. We'll get it to you. So it's really fun to do that kind of stuff. Um, and I'm really, really excited about that product. So. Yeah, and it, it just, I mean, so you know, too, and that was a really tough decision because it took us a long time to get this sample here. It took us almost, well, actually over a month. It took over a month, yeah, like six weeks to get this little 200 milliliter sample and then for us to go, no, it's not perfect. It's like, well, I'd rather yeah. wait and have this thing yeah. come out in January and it's amazing than try to push something out that we're not happy with. We have toured so many distilleries um, in our travels and we just, we want every single thing we produce to be anybody else's flagship. We just, we're so snobby about that kind of stuff. <laughs> Matt is a huge liquor snob, but um, that's a good thing. It's a well, it's your livelihood. You want the best stuff out there. Yeah, we want every single product to be like the best yeah. product it can possibly be. Yeah, I mean, from a business perspective, too, I mean, we've had people that say, hey, you know, you really need to have a value product that's just really going to kind of help, you know, pay the bills and everything and economically make sense. And, um, you know, to some degree, that is true. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, if you pair the right branding, the right marketing with the right kind of product, you're going to get enough of the volume uh, to make it make sense. And, you know, and this product in particular uh, really has to be top notch. Um, because this is this is one that we're gonna it's gonna be sitting out there with Josephine and um, you know in, in terms of a price level too I mean it's not going to be inexpensive uh, but it's so worth it I mean it's it's so hard to I mean, like Steph says we, we put a blend together for a test batch and it's like gone it's where'd it go <laughs> it's so hard to it's so hard not to keep testing it you know yeah <laughs> well with, with um, Josephine and Lorenzo 
you know those guys inspire you but uh on a business level or just personal uh who inspires you oh wow um boy that's you know that's a mixture um there's a lot of folks out there that you know in different ways do different things that are that are really cool um you know from the philanthropy side to the way that they do business i mean you know you can call out folks like um I don't know, like an Elon Musk, but, you know, some of the stuff he does is pretty not, you know, kind of wacky and, and maybe not the best thing in the world, but um, some of the other stuff that he does do is amazing. Like, you know, the, the, the idea of you know, sending your car to Mars, um, but it's, just, it's the vision that this guy has, I think, is one of the coolest things I think uh, I would say, but, you know, and then, you know, the way that people conduct themselves uh, socially, I think is, is also super important too. Uh, you know, you've got to have the right kind of social responsibility and, and understand that you're living in a world with a bunch of other people. So, you know, I don't, I really don't like the idea of stepping on other folks to, you know, to get better off. We want to make a living and we want the distillery to do well, uh, but we're not going to do it at the expense of other folks. Um, so, you know, there's been a lot of people that, you know, and some, some names are politically charged and some aren't, but, you know, there, there's folks in the, uh, in the business world who've done well that are also giving back and, you know, we, we would rather be among those folks than um, the ones that just say, hey, I'm just going to go and lock myself up in a, a yacht somewhere or a Manhattan apartment and nobody can, and I don't care about anybody else. But that, that's just, that's who we are. I think it's just the, the innovation, I think, is an important piece of it. And then, you know, I think the social responsibility is the next bit. And we just want to be able to blend in and, and enjoy this with everybody and, you know, be social about it. Because once COVID's over, once this whole stupid plague is done, I mean, we want to be out and mingling with folks and, you know, have events and, uh, you know, have people over and in and say, hey, you know, come, you know, check out the distillery with us and, you know, and expand that huge network of folks that, that we really like to be a part of. Because you guys had tours for a short time yeah, we kind of have tours and then stop having tours. Yeah. And have, um, we were having our marketing guy run them because he was willing to do it. And um, we'd have the like big garage door open and have the fan running. And we limited it to four people. And and it was great. People were loving it. Um, to be able to do something like that around here in Utah County was really cool. Yeah. Even for people who don't drink, the science of distilling is really neat. Um, and that was successful and we were making sales and they were filling up, but then the recent spike in Utah County, we just, uh, it's like, it's so hard because you want your business to do well, but you want to be safe and you want to do what's right for people. And it's not just that we don't want, you know, people coming in that have COVID, but we don't want them spreading it between each other or, or heaven forbid our tour guide would have it or something. So it just became like a source of stress for us. So people can still stop by and pick up purchases. Like we do it kind of through the door, show me your ID. Okay, give me your card, you know, and, and we're wearing masks and we pass through. But for now, it just feels like until Utah County can get this under control, um, it's not worth the risk. So it's tough, but. So stay tuned people. So you can, yeah. you can go check it out when it comes back. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, and, and we know the hours that have been posted or have been kind yeah. of fluid, and and I hate that too. I mean, none of that's fun, and 
you know, it's hard to really kind of establish what they are at this point. I mean, I think the safest thing, at least until COVID is under control, is to just say, hey, give us a call or check us out on Facebook and, and we'll, we'll chat with you. And maybe, you know, like especially with the investors, we like to make sure they can at least stop by and, you know, we'll chat with them a little bit. But yeah, for the most part right now, we're, we're just going to have to keep the door shut until things settle down. And it's more the tasting too, like the tour, if everybody's wearing a mask and they walk around, it's, there's not a ton of risk because you're in this giant 22 foot ceiling warehouse uh, with a fan. But then when everybody takes their mask off to drink, even if it only takes a minute to taste, because there's only a couple um, to taste right now, it's just, that's, that's the part. And everybody wants to taste it, which of course you do. Don't blame them. Good part, right? But yeah, we'll see. We'll We'll keep it updated on social media, what we're choosing to do, but anything we're doing is for safety, obviously not for money, because if it was, we'd be wide open. So. Well, and if you get, you, you can't have business if the customers are, you know, getting sick and. Or us, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You can't have the people running it sick either. Um, uh, before the bonus questions, is there anything that you wanted to cover that we we didn't bring up? No, so. okay. no, I think we're good. All right, bonus question number one: What does creativity mean to you? <laughs> I like to think about things in ways other people haven't thought about them before. Um, I like to think that we live outside of the box, um, and. I think both of our family members um, or our families think we're both crazy, which means we're perfect for each other. Because um, I just, I want to do things just to do them. Um, I want to experience everything. And creativity is part of that. Like, why can't this go together? Or why can't I do this? You know, it's kind of the same question to me. So it's just beyond normal. Anything beyond normal is exciting and interesting to me yeah to me creativity is kind of like a lack of boundaries and it's also you know a different perspective i think is a, is a big part of creativity because you know even just the, the way we approach uh you know our our creations is is different because we we approach it from the side of taste mm -hmm. and some people would call that backwards uh you know like if you're a distillery you know the typical way you start up a distillery is you make whiskey, stuff it in barrels, and then you make gin and vodka to help pay the bills until you can, until the whiskey's old enough um, to pay the bills. And or, and or, you know, maybe you build some other things that have already been built before or just kind of stick within those uh, government categories like we were talking about. But what I love is just, you know, being able to say, hey, you know, what if we did something uh, that's, uh, you know, this kind of idea, this flavor profile or, you know, uh, how would how would we engineer a spirit to to do that and you know you wouldn't actually and, and the ingredients don't even really matter i mean honestly the only thing you need to make booze is some kind of sugar and there's a lot of different kinds too i mean everything from you know hell even milk has sugar you can actually ferment and distill milk and i don't know what that would taste it like. sounds <laughs> but yeah i mean that's the point right i mean it's yeah it may not be a good thing but um that's that's what's cool is you know we can and now that we have the facility and we have everything that we need to do it we're absolutely unbridled and and we do have a lot of other things in in the uh in the hopper right now in, in r d that you know that actually might really surprise some people uh 
you know, like tomatoes and whatever, but there's, it's just so fun to be able to just say, I am absolutely unfettered by anything. uh, And I can, and as long as I can distill it, it's, it's an option. So that, that's what I think about in terms of creativity. It's just the the freedom. And I think that when we started, some people were like, well, you guys don't have a background in in distilling. What are you doing? (laughs) You're going to have good stuff. And it's like, you know what? I think it's a strength. And anything we've determined that we don't know, we have sought outside counsel. Like there's an awesome uh, distiller, Ethan at Holy Stone. He's awesome. He has helped us a lot just with advice. Um, and then we've got um, Adam O'Pallick, who was like employee number one from High West and helped him get huge. And he was in charge of Western sales and he's on our advisory board and he helps us with all sorts of sales and distribution stuff that we would never know. And then we've got this other awesome guy, Eric in Oregon, and he consults with us and tells us all this stuff about our process and about like we, Matt is very good. He's done all this. It wasn't me. Matt is very good about knowing what he doesn't know, recognizing when he's got some, you know, blind spot and finding someone that can help him answer that question. And that allows us to come in with this completely brand new view and way of looking at this market, this distilling and still be able to do it. So I think he's a, he's a good leader. Go Matt. (laughs) Uh, Next up, who is your favorite Muppet and why? (laughs) (laughs) Animal by far. Animal's the best. Um, Just a, yeah, because <laughs> I just feel like that at the end of most weeks. Speed ah, up drums. <laughs> what about you, Stephanie? Well, I, I watched The Muppet Show, but honestly, I was more of a Sesame Street kid, and I love Oscar the Grouch, which is kind of like Sesame Street's animal, honestly, if you can try it. Yeah. Because he's little... You know, trash can was always messy and he didn't want to interact with you. He just went, Rah! and I have, I don't think I'm, um, you know, mean like that, but I do have people tell me that I have a Midwestern frankness about me. But I, you know, how, where I stand on things, I don't, I don't try to beat around the bushes. This is how I feel. And then when I was a kid, I was kind of sloppy. So that's mine. Live in a trash can. <laughs> and then the last one is in the movie of your life, who would you like to play you? I don't really want there to be a movie in my life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's no wrong answers. So one I'd rather. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I don't know how to answer that because I don't think I'd want to move into that. I don't really like being um, center of attention. That's understandable. Matt, do you have a... I'm thinking, you know, it's funny. I've never actually thought about that. I know that's gone around Facebook a ton and everything and everybody's talked about it. That's John Connery or the most interesting man in the world guy. Yeah, right. No, I... I know. I mean, Sean Connery is definitely cool, uh, but I mean, I don't know. I've never really thought about it. I'm, I'm sorry. I have a terrible answer. I don't know what's the answer. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's a thinker. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I want to thank uh, Maggie Mesa. She made this possible. I've known her for quite some time. We used to work together at a restaurant back in 2001 to 2002, and she made this possible. Um, yeah, she's been tremendous uh, with us, too. She's a great help. Yeah, she's helping us a lot with our uh, social media and marketing strategy and stuff, so she's been really great. We love making Speaking of where can everybody check you out, a uh, website, social media, uh, location, you know, if they want to come buy some stuff. Yeah, so Facebook, it's Clearwater Distilling, um, and Instagram, also Clearwater Distilling, and then we're at, obviously, clearwaterdistilling.com, and then the uh, crowdfunding page is at startengine.com slash clearwaterdistilling. Awesome. With an ING, a lot of people say distillery, and it's distilling. Yeah, I, I have to keep on catching myself because I keep on saying stuff. <laughs> Just ing, yeah. Ing, yep. All right, well, well, thank Wonderful. you guys very much. It was very interesting learning more about you and your business. And thanks. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having us. Have a good day. You too. You too. See ya. See ya. All right, I should have this up on my, by next Monday, the, is that the 19th? Okay. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Right and people never came. They just left you hanging. Yep. <laughs> I'll have to talk to them. Yeah. Talk <laughs> to them. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. you. Have a good one. The podcast is done, man. <laughs>